0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is for you as you tune in, welcome to Write Your Book. It's week three, exciting times. Hello, everybody. Lovely to see you.
1: Um,
0: per usual, uh, I invite you to turn your video on and your audio off, unless you're talking. Um just so that we don't have the crazed background noises. That'd be wonderful. How are you all going? In the chat box, if you wouldn't mind, give us a seven-word summary of your progress so far. Seven words. We're playing linguistic games here, right? We're writing books together. (laughs) So you get seven words and seven words only. I'm glad to see KP is taking this project very seriously. (laughs) Give us a seven-word summary of your progress so far. From 12 to 72 sheets—that That is progress, Stephen Dunn. Love it. A breakthrough on the fundamentals of my practice. Look, (laughs) it doesn't even matter if you write a book book at this point. (laughs) The finished product is, you know, that's awesome. Very happy so far. Nearly got the first draft written. Stuart, you champion. Of course you'd be productive, wouldn't you? Captain productivity over there. Uh, Very good, very good. Done seven interviews. That's awesome Marie Claire, nice one. Mind maps, cover art ordered, good. Inspired to take action, getting there slowly. Yeah, still working on pink sheets, awesome. Uh, So, Uh, quick hands up if you're excited about like the Christmas break the holiday period whatever you who's ready for just I don't know something or something different is it just me or do you feel like I mean I don't know about you but I I realize the universe doesn't know or care what year we call it you know like the earth doesn't actually give a shit and at the same time I come to this new year period wondering whether you know just the earth will take the hint And turn 2021 into something slightly different. (laughs) Um, And I think we're presented with a huge opportunity here, which is to um, often over this period, we uh, have a little more space
2: uh,
0: from kind of some of the other things in our life. And also, we want to make space for some things like time with family and that kind of stuff. Um, And I find every year I can write a whole lot uh, over the Christmas break, um, just because it uh, yeah it's it's so different. Um, and so, what I want to do today is just kind of summarize where I hope you're at, or will be at soon, and the strategy that I think you should adopt over the next however long we've got. I think is it four weeks until our next. Call together. I think we've got a four-week block, um, which includes Christmas and New Year's and any any other random events that you want to stick in there. And I would love for this to be an insanely productive four weeks for you. And so my first question is um, around. Can't remember exactly how I worded it, but I invited you to kind of choose your commitment to yourself, choose your discipline, choose your application, whatever it was, whether you're going to commit to a certain amount of words per day, per week, per month, whether you're going to commit to a certain amount of time per day, per week, per month, whether you're going to commit to a particular structure or habit, daily, weekly, monthly. And I'm curious, have you solidified around that? So external of the ideas and everything that you've thought of for the book, have you decided on what is your commitment to yourself as to how you're going to write this book so UC see is going hardcore <laughs> every day five hours <laughs> i don't have that level of commitment but i respect it in the people that do you see so that's good okay so a few people are saying not yet is that the general gist people are kind of feeling no i haven't actually committed to that yet is that a mm-hmm. thing is that roughly where we're at okay awesome no worries so let me give you a little bit of advice around it um you don't, have to, you don't have to think of it this way, but I think this is useful. Uh, who here listens to Practicing Human by Corey Mascara, the podcast? So Corey, if you haven't met him, is a black belt in our community. His expertise is in mindfulness, and he has an incredible daily commitment to record and release a podcast every single day. Um, now, he... It ends up being about five times a week that he actually does it. Um, But sometimes he releases them on weekends and sometimes he doesn't, right? That's fine. But he has a commitment, essentially five out of seven, I'm going to release a podcast. So if you like Corey and you want to hear his voice, uh, that's where I get my fill of him. He's notoriously hard to get on the phone. (laughs) So my relationship with him is mostly one way at this point. Anyway, he had a podcast a week or two ago. And he was talking about having a contract with yourself. And uh, he, being like a spirit, quite a spiritual person, takes it to, um, takes it to the degree where he has a ceremony when he's making a commitment to himself. And he actually puts on his monk robes that he wore when he was in Burma on his year-long retreat or however long he was there for in silence. And he puts on his robes and he does a bowing ceremony when he's making a commitment to himself to remind himself kind of of the solemn, binding nature (laughs) of the commitment that he's making. Much like, you know, handing rings to someone else on a wedding day or that kind of thing. And essentially Corey's point was that if you can um, trust yourself to make a commitment, and to hold yourself to it, then the world gets a whole lot better. And you might've read this idea in The Four Agreements by Juan Miguel Ruiz. Has anyone read The Four Agreements? Incredible book if you're into being a a better person. (laughs) And the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. And of course, when we hear that idea, be impeccable with your word, we tend to think about it in an external way. Like if I tell Yussi, uh, I'm going to visit him next Tuesday, then being impeccable with my word would mean that I make sure that I'm there next Tuesday. And one girl Ruiz talks about actually the most important thing about being impeccable with your word is being impeccable with your word to yourself. And so that if you say you're going to do some kind of action around writing or commitment to your children or time with your family or giving to charity or whatever, that you trust yourself to do that thing. And what you're kind of embarking on now, especially those of you who have not yet decided what your commitment is. um, And I saw in the comments, um, people putting a range of time. I'd suggest a range isn't that useful. What you wanna make here is a commitment to the minimum that you will do. And if you recall Peter Cook, The greatest piece of um, life advice I've ever received. 100% in is easy. And 99% in is difficult. This is another uh, way of saying be impeccable with your word. Because so I'll give you a real life example here. I still drink slightly too much Coca-Cola, but I used to drink way too much Coca-Cola. Okay, and I wanted to slow down and I was trying to make a commitment to myself that I would drink less Coke, but I actually don't want to quit drinking Coke because occasionally I I do like it. But knowing that I needed to be a 100 percent in on whatever it was and not 99 percent in, I needed to find a commitment I could make to myself that I could be 100 percent sure I would um, commit to and follow through. And that commitment ended up being I'm not going to buy Coke in boxes and bring it home So if I'm out of my house driving around, I can choose to drink Coke or not, but I'm allowed to, but at home, I don't bring Coke here and I'm hundred percent committed to that. And so I never, ever, ever break it. So what I'm asking you to do now is work out what is the commitment you can make to yourself about writing this book that you will not break no matter what and commit just to that. Because if you commit just to the thing that you definitely will not break, then you won't break it. <laughs> and there will be far more progress gained as a result than there would have been if you made some much bigger, more expansive commitment, but failed to hold up your end of the bargain, which was to actually do that thing. So my commitment to myself um when I wrote my last book was 500 words a day. Um, And that if ever I didn't make 500 words that I would definitely make it up the next day. So I would never go two days without writing a thousand words. That was my commitment to myself. And I felt like, especially given the circumstances I was at my beach house, I didn't have too much else on um, that I could hold to that commitment. And I did. So I'm interested what, is the commitment you can make that you're 100% in on, not 99, 100, that you can be absolutely impeccable with your word on and that when you type it into this chat box, you know that that's what you're going to do. Deb Bailey, first cab off the rank. Can you unmute yourself, Deb? Hello.
3: Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you.
0: How are you? Excellent. Oh, I'm so good. I'm having a wonderful day. I'm just enjoying it being summer. It's so nice.
3: <laughs> I know, it's gorgeous here in Auckland today too. It's stunning.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, tell, tell us, share with us if you don't mind, what is your commitment to yourself?
3: So my commitment to myself is a minimum of two hours a day. Yeah. Uh, first thing in the morning. Yep. It's part of that early morning sort of routine. Yep. Um, yeah, that, I, that is totally doable. And then if I do more, I do more, but I know yep. I can do that.
0: Yeah, love it. Awesome. Who thinks Deb can do that? Excellent. I'm just showing off the fact that I've got a completely bung elbow there. That wasn't intention. Uh, <clears throat> so do you get the point here? Making a commitment that you hold yourself to is key. If you tell yourself that your commitment is just that you will sit your ass down in the chair and open your laptop and open the document, if that's your only commitment, that's enough, actually. Um, Someone mentioned Atomic Habits in the chat box just there. And James Clear talks about if you want to become a runner, don't tell yourself you're going to run 10 kilometres a day, seven days a week. Tell yourself that at some particular time, you're going to put on your shorts and your running shoes (laughs) and be a hundred percent in on putting on shorts and running shoes. Um, Because if you go to the trouble of putting on shorts and running shoes, you'll probably go running. And if you go to the trouble of sitting down, opening your laptop and opening your book document, you'll probably start typing. Bernard. Bernard, hello.
1: Hi, Cole.
0: What's your commitment, Bernard? What are you doing?
1: I have just sat here and said I'm committing to whatever it takes to write a minimum of 500 words a day. I love it. The the decision going through my mind is that five or seven days a week, yep. but I'm I'm committing to seven. Nice. He's going for the whole hog. Over the the whole hog over this next month.
0: Yep. Love it. Mag's going with a thousand words a day for three weeks off. Here we go. Here we go. Um, In my opinion, this bit is more important to to the completion of your book than anything else you do. It's more important than all the pink sheets that we come up with. It's more important than the structure that we talked about. It's more important than your template document and your topic sentences. It's more important than all of that. If you sit down and write, you'll end up with a book. (laughs) And if you don't sit down and write, well, you won't. So, love that, Julie. Excellent. All right. Um, I've got one more suggestion. I've been doing some thinking recently around accountability. And I'm noticing that accountability has the magic in groups of between two and five. So if you tell yourself you're going to hold yourself accountable to the thought leaders community at large, there's some value in that. And you can get away with it because the thought leaders community isn't a person. (laughs) And communities don't hold you accountable. People do. And so what you may choose to do if you want you don't have to, you can totally write a book without this, but you may choose to find a partner or, or, or a little group. And you may choose to start a little WhatsApp channel or a messenger group or whatever channel of communication you choose. And you just check in with each other semi-regularly. Hey, what do you need? What are you thinking about? I think if you find yourself with two, three, four people around you who understand what you're doing and who are doing something similar, I reckon you'll find your accountability levels go through the roof. If you want an accountability partner and you don't have one, type it in the chat box now. Just say, me, I want one. And then, um, then someone else will say, me, I want one. And then you can do that awkward internet introduction where you just send each other a private message and say, all right, shall we do this? And yes, it feels weird for about eight seconds and then it pays off big time. So just step through the eight seconds of weirdness. I notice nobody's doing that. Maybe I haven't sold the uh, sold the fact that Stephen. Yes, um, good man stepping up first. It would be awkward if nobody responds. And <laughs> Alan's doing it via Slack, but I'm not sure. Does that mean you already have a partner, Alan, or you're looking for someone else? Jacinta has too many accountability buddies. Well, it's good. It's good to know when to stop. Um. Anyway, my point being, uh if you don't have an, a little accountability group, I think the value of them is off the charts. And what might be useful about the book project as a practice accountability group is, means you're not committing to a huge long relationship lasting years. You're just committing to talk to each other for a month. Um, so it's not a, not a, an over-commitment. And I see that some people are, see that people are doing it. That's awesome. And if you know that it's not for you right now, that's perfect too. Awesome. Okay. I'm just going to very briefly summarize what I want you to put in place as much as you can before you start writing. I'm going to give you a two minute summary and then we're going to go to questions and then that's it. The summary is this you start with pink sheets. The pink sheets form the basis of the overall structure of your book. If you're not sure what that should structure should be, start with your pink sheets about why this is important, go to your pink sheets about how the whole thing fits together and then insert your pink sheets about what they're supposed to do specifically. You can use the primary how model, often is the main structure of your book. Just take the how model and however many bits it has, that's how many chunks your book has. And then you explore each of them in however many chapters is useful. And remember that books should feel structured and balanced. And so you want to make sure that the amount of time and attention and space and word count and everything that you commit to each of your sections is in the vicinity of even. Within each of those structures, you're then gonna create your chapters. These are the main points that you wanna make. Within those chapters, you need to work out what are the main points that contribute to that and kind of talk about them as being the main headings. If there are subheadings that kind of break that up, right? Because we're taking a big set of ideas here and breaking it down linearly then they may be heading two or a subheading. And finally, if there are a bunch of statements that make up each of those little pieces, then we kind of take the middle of the pink sheet, even if it's not a whole pink sheet, but there's a statement you want to make, and we put them into the document as topic sentences. And all of that should appear in your table of contents at the very beginning. The goal of all of this being, number one, you know what the book is going to be when you're finished, so you know you're not wasting your time because you've got a very clear picture of what's in it and how it's gonna create the outcome that you've planned. And secondly, it means that when you sit down to write because you're impeccable with your word to yourself and you've made an unbreakable commitment to the writing habit, however you've decided to do it, when you sit down, you don't need to be in a creative mood. You don't need to have the best idea under the sun. All you need is the table of contents in your template, And you click on a bit that you've got some ideas about right now, it takes you directly to it, and you start typing. Does everyone understand that? That is what I want you to do as much as you possibly can before you start writing. And I know not all of us are going to finish that project before we start writing, because you're going to want to start typing in the bits that you do know, but I want you to make sure you keep piece of your brain committed to making that structure that kind of overview the layout to getting that right so that we don't get to the last week or two of the book writing phase and have you thinking I have no idea what I'm doing or what I'm supposed to be writing out and what even is this piece of IP (laughs) okay I've talked enough um what I'd love to hear from you now is what do you need What's on your mind? What are you thinking about? What can we workshop or discuss that will help give you the clarity you need to totally kick butt over the next four weeks? What is on your mind? Julie says, is there a minimum total word count? No there's not um what I think is useful to know is what's a word count that's going to achieve what I want for my book um in general what we would call a cluster book like think which is a kind of not a big significant chunky thing but still it's a book typically that's 25,000 words-ish, okay? 20 to 25,000 words is kind of, that's kind of the minimum if you want a thing that feels like a legitimate book. Um, if you want to write a typical, this kind of book, a sort of a more practiced, chunky book, typically that's going to be 45 to 60,000 words. And... Anything more than that is a lot. <laughs> um, my books are 50,000 and 44,000 or something like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so UC's holding up Adam Voigt's real questions book. I'm not sure that that gets to call itself a book, but that's got about a thousand words total. Cause it's just a question at the top of each page. And then a series of lines for you to fill in. Um, Donna McGeorge's latest book is probably only a 1,000 words or 2,000 words because it's all, like, graphically designed and stuff. But funnily enough, I bet that was harder to write than a 20,000-word equivalent. Um, okay, going down the questions here. If you're doing a positioning book, what might that structure look like? Can you ask me that question again, Deb? Can you just unmute yourself and...
3: Yeah. So... If you're doing a positioning book, is it that you're unpacking your value model? Maybe your ace pink sheet as well, but would, would that kind of... So what I have in my head is, you know, you do your introduction, all that kind of stuff, and overview, which I guess is the green sheet. But then could that be unpacking the value model? And then introducing your how model. I don't know. What does a positioning book typically look like, I guess, is the question.
0: Yeah, good question. So what a positioning book typically looks like, I would say, is a book that gets you keynote speeches that cost $8,000 or more. (laughs) That is how I would think about it. And so what it becomes, it's not going to be a curriculum book. It's not going to be a workshop book. So speakership is not a positioning book because it's filled with exercises. Yeah. And if I'm a conference organiser looking for someone to spend $8,000 or more on to, um, I just called them a moron, (laughs) Um, uh, to spend $8,000 or more on, uh, then I'm looking for, kind of insight and perspective and stories because that's what I want to see shared from the stage. If I see exercises, I see trainer and I don't want a trainer on my conference stage because they take all the energy out of the room. So if you want to know what's in a positioning book, I would defer to the kinds of people who get paid $8,000 or more to speak from a conference stage and see what they're doing. So this is Dan and Kieran. That's what they do. right? Dan is basically, his practice is get paid 10 grand to go and stand on stage. And essentially what this book says is, these are the ways to think about the future and how to inject that into people, like into large groups of people. And so um, this book, it's, (laughs) if I could describe it as a bunch of words broken up by the bit that they actually want the conference organizer or ceo to read (laughs) that's what a positioning book is it's almost like your highlight statements once every two or three pages if you flip through the book would kind of architect your whole perspective and your insight and that the rest of it is just stories and stuff fleshing it out but there's not um it's not an exercise book in the way that um most of the books that I write are.
3: <laughs> so the difference then between a positioning book and a cluster book is what?
0: Yeah, good question. So a cluster book is designed to be a piece of collateral that makes it easier for you to take a commercial offering to market that makes $10,000 a month or more. Right? Okay. So. If you want to see someone who's released a series of cluster books, go and look at Darren Fleming's. Now I haven't actually looked at his webpage, but I assume you can see his stuff. So Darren has clearly made a bunch of commercial hypotheses. I think accountants will pay me to teach them this. I think real estate agents will pay me to teach them this. And he's just made a hypothesis and gone, I want something that gets me in the door and paints me as the expert. Bam. He writes a 20,000 word book in 40 days he publishes it in the next 30 days or whatever and then in between two immersions he's got a cluster book ready to go and he goes and uses it to launch a cluster a positioning book is something designed to so i'll give you an example look at all ral's books and then understand how her thing combines essentially storytelling and realness like authenticity. Rao's whole thing is tell stories and be authentic. And if you look at the titles of her books and the ways that they're structured, all of them just solidify that that's who Raoul is and that's what she does, right? If you look at Darren's books, and this is not a, I'm not disrespecting Darren. I think he's done phenomenal work. And I know a number of his books have been really successful, but it's just a good distinction between someone doing cluster books and someone doing practice books or positioning books. Um, Darren's won't give you that same sense of I'm all about this one thing. Like I'm solidifying around this one point. It's very much, uh, maybe you can say it this way. A cluster book is more about them. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense? Like, it's just like, who's this person? What's their issue right now? And can I solve it? It's just a problem solving tool. A positioning book is more about you and your perspective and all the ways that it could be harnessed and utilized and applied. Obviously as well. this may not be obvious actually, but the distinction between a cluster book and a positioning book is an arbitrary one that we've created. Like if you go into the world of publishers, they won't ask you, are you writing a a cluster book or a positioning book? (laughs) Um, This is an arbitrary one that we've created. And I think for the most part, and particularly for people below blue, the idea that a cluster book can be written quite quickly, can solve a particular issue specifically, um, and can be offered to people in order to generate a relationship has like, just the permission to do that is super, super useful. So. Thank you. Whoops. Sorry. I'm just muting people who. Yep. Okay. Back to the list of questions. Linda. Do you want to unmute yourself and ask that question, Linda? I love it.
2: Hi, Cole. Um, this probably Hi. plays. This probably plays to my um, enormous sense of imposter syndrome. So I'm just thinking: at what point do I actually share it with someone, and they possibly dash my hopes and dreams and tell me it's complete rubbish, or give me you know, realistic feedback around there's too much of this or um, not enough of this, or can you develop this a bit further? So at what point do I do I share the structure? and, and the, the raw outline, or do I actually get going and get halfway through first? Any thoughts?
0: I do. That's such a good question. Um, so, And the first thing I would say is actually not in answer to your question, um, but just around feedback in general, which is uh, you should seek feedback and you should filter all of it and you should always accept that just as you won't write the perfect book on your own, nor will someone give you the perfect feedback on their own. So um, there is a tendency, like books are like babies. <laughs> we have a lot invested in them. And um, other people's perspectives on them can be useful, but they're not always. And so I just want to be really clear that um, it's, it is useful to seek feedback, and you should seek feedback, uh, and you should always filter it um, because they're no less fallible than you are and their feedback could be just as wrong as their perceived, you know, position on your book is. And I reckon if you do a really good job of the structure document, that's a really great time to get feedback um, because once you've got a huge volume of words, changing a book gets harder and harder and harder. I don't know if you've ever tried to move a piece of um, like, once you start moving thousands of words before and after each other, you lose the ability to remember where ideas are introduced and framed. You can't remember when it's introduced into the narrative. You don't know whether you can talk about this thing yet or not because you wrote it three weeks ago and now it's all been moved and you've lost it. And so changing things structurally once your word count is beyond like quite low is really challenging. So if you're looking for structural feedback, I would get it when you're at that, you know, when we talked about that kind of stru- whether it's at a mind map phase, or I reckon the best would be if you've got your, you know, uh, structure in terms of the overall layout, the chapters within it, the main headings, any subheadings, and then the topic sentences. Because in theory, as you read through that, it should just about make sense. It obviously won't be backed up with the elegant stories and all the data, but the thread of the ideas should all be there. And the other thing I'd say when seeking feedback is beware the practitioner because they're going to have a different opinion to you (laughs) because all practitioners have beliefs about the detail and your perspective is more important than their perspective where the detail is concerned so I wouldn't go to a practitioner for feedback I would go to someone with commercial savvy for feedback I think it's way more important to get commercial feedback around your book and how it's going to be used and who's going to read it and which bits of it they're going to read than it is to say oh I don't think this exercise will be as effective as you think it is Do you understand what I mean? Like feedback of the latter time. I just don't really think you need it. Um, Maybe it's useful, but I think it's a case of strongly diminishing returns. On the other hand, you might have a five minute conversation with someone who has a commercial eye for what's going on. And they say, you should put this bit up the front. Uh, You should unpack this idea. Wait, why do I care about this? They'll ask you a few really important questions. Um, Those are the things that will have a much bigger impact on the overall effect of your book, I think. So. Is that useful?
2: That's fantastic. That's really helpful, Cole. Thank you so much.
0: Perfect. Um, And the other thing I would say is once you've kind of finished it, you do want to have some kind of feedback loop at the end, but you don't want to be getting feedback at that point that says, oh, this is all in the wrong order or, you know, you've got to change the whole thing. (laughs) You want people to be saying stuff like, oh, I didn't quite understand this concept. And you go, oh, shit, I haven't framed it well enough or whatever. Like you need fresh sets of eyes I think at that later stage, just to kind of help make sure that you've unpacked all the concepts as you wanted to, and in ways that can be accessed, but um, yeah. Seek commercial savvy at the structure phase. That's the a statement of the pink sheet that I just created. Could someone type that out and send it to me? (laughs) I'm not serious. You don't have to. All right. Um, You see, saying I want 100K per speech like nobody else. There's plenty of people you see getting paid 250 grand a speech. I hate to tell you, the world is obscene. Um, I'm looking for questions in the chat box. This is just a whole bunch of chat. <laughs> All right, we're still in the question and answer phase. Does anyone have any questions about um, what you should be working on right now? Um, how to prepare, anything. What's on your mind? Yeah, Dennis, what's up?
1: Can you hear me? I sure can, mate. How are you? Fantastic. I'm, uh, I'm swell. I'm super inspired. Um, I'm not stuck, but I'm actually working on several book projects. And um, so uh, uh, I have ten questions, but I'll I'll go with one. <laughs> sure. Um, Is it pot? So my subject and my audience are the simplest way to say it is totally new agey. Is it possible that this group doesn't respond to uh, uh, let's call it the lower left side of a pink sheet, right? Data studies and perhaps the upper left of models as well. Or is Mm -hmm. it still worth throwing those things in because it might expand the audience or I'm, I'm simply wrong. In other words, this is a market I know pretty well that for a long time I've been sharing metaphor and stories with not.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so like the opposite condition Dennis would be if you said, uh, I sell productivity to accountants, <laughs> right? It's And so, um, I think of the pink sheet as, actually, I think of everything as relative. So um, have you ever noticed political conversation is always relative? And if you took today's political conversation and dropped it 20 years ago, it would just seem utterly insane, right? (laughs) But it works today because it's relative to what we're used to now. And so I think that all these spectra, and and so uh, pink sheets are essentially a spectra from big picture to detail and from left brain to right brain, but it's all relative, right? And there is no actual center point of left brain to right brain. There is no actual, um, you know, zero, there is no equator of big picture to fine detail. All of it's relative and it goes infinitely that way and infinitely that way and infinitely that way and infinitely that way. And so what I'd say is you want to try and work out what's the um, what's the useful place to kind of center mine like what's my local coordinate system that's a bit nerdy but I'm an engineer um, for my audience or the people that I work with so all that to say is your pink sheets will have a different kind of uh, orientation or alignment to someone selling productivity to accountants but both of you are still dealing with a spectrum right? And so yours will just be shifted slightly relative to the other one. And to contradict myself slightly, I reckon one thing I've learned as a result of kind of helping curate the thought leaders community is that people are way more diverse than you expect. And like, cynical 18-year-old Cole would never have expected to end up a bit new agey, and yet here I am. (laughs) So I'm the kind of guy who might read your book, but if you don't go to the left-hand side of the pink sheet, eh, you're going to lose me. But if you did at least dabble over there, then you might get me, right? And so what I've noticed with the thought leaders curriculum, and one of the things I've learned from Matt, is not to be so presumptuous about your audiences to think that you know them completely, and Matt will often deliver something that I'm like, oh, that's a bit off the reservation or jeepers, you've gone a bit far from me there. And then there are 20 people who are in the room who are like, that is the most amazing thing I've heard all year. And I'm like, okay, it turns out I, I knew less than I thought. Um, and so I would just say, kind of submitting to the pink sheet process a little bit can actually expand your mind and their minds in ways that you weren't necessarily able to predict or expect. Um, and you don't, not everything you say has to resonate for everyone. Uh, the point is that a good portion of it works for a good portion of them. And what I read in the book and what Linda reads in the book and what Dave reads in the book, we'll all take different stuff out of it. But if it only comes from one corner, then that's not going to happen. So I'd say, um, Probably let yourself go a little further than you have been comfortable doing. I think you'll find overall that is a fruitful experiment that will benefit you and them.
1: Uh, that's a great answer. Uh, I, I can definitely tell the other side of my brain has been waking up uh, <laughs> but it's also um, exciting because it's, it's helping me to see that we're really talking about pink sheets in two ways One is to structure the book. Yeah. Right. And and this is actually exciting for me because I'm reprinting a book that I first wrote 20 years ago. Yeah, right. Because it's the best selling book in this region. So uh, I know my distributor is nervous that I will make any changes to it. (laughs) But I have so much confidence in the program that I think it can be even better. I think it can reach more people and um, take the audience of people that already like it and and sort of uh, help them like it even more, more deeply. The second way we're talking about it though is not in structuring the book, it's how much of what I come up with when I make the pink sheet, do I share in the actual writing? So, yeah. Obviously, there's no. It's not black and white, but I'm having fun trying this out.
0: Yeah, perfect. And if it, if it were black and white, black and white, I think you were doing it wrong. Uh, the the fact that it's kind of amorphous and intangible, and um, and there are no correct answers, that means you're in the right space.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, James.
0: You're in the. Enviable or unenviable, I'm not sure, position of having more than one book. Do you want to tell us what's going on there?
4: Oh Yeah, look, um, I've got a, a couple of projects that I've been working on. Um, one you'd probably describe as a cluster book, one as a positioning book, and I've got a couple of other little projects that have been gathering uh, volume, I suppose, um, that I think need to be turned into books. Um, And yeah, I've I've sort of got a whiteboard and I've got ideas and starts of outlines generating for both. And I'm just wondering if I'm setting myself up to fail on both, if I'm working on both at the same time, Mm. or if, um, yeah, if there's some, if I'm being undisciplined by doing both at the same time or,
3: Yeah. yeah.
4: When you do your best work,
0: under what condition are you working?
4: Uh, freewheeling would be the best way to describe it. Not under a time pressure, just yeah. after three or four days off.
0: Yeah. You and me both. <laughs> I have a commitment to work 20 hours a week and no more. That's what I try to do because I've worked way better that way. Um,
4: I'm reminding myself that time on the couch is work.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh the danger um for people like us if i may generalize this together we're both into bird photography so there's that um Mm -hmm. the danger for people like us is that you're doing great work in an ivory tower or in isolation or in a vacuum and that um it doesn't actually ever get out into the world Mm
2: -hmm.
0: the Oh, I read a quote on Twitter the other day. It was something along the lines of, um, if you want to be lucky, uh, share your work in public. Something to that effect. It's essentially this idea that if you are courageous enough to put the ideas that you're working on, to put it out there as you're working on it, luck seems to come your way because you get connected with people who've explored that idea more deeply or who have a perspective on it or blah, 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 whatever it might be. And there is this thing, especially if we think of ourselves as a thought leader that we can't put ideas out there in draft. We have to wait until they're absolutely finished and completely perfect and polished and then we put them out there. Um, So if freewheeling and going from idea to idea to whatever is actually the best way for you to do your work, then I would say by all means, do it that way. And share it as you go. Because I don't really care if you don't complete your book by, you know, next immersion or the immersion after that or whatever, because you're working on two at once. So long as the process of writing the books is putting you on podcasts and re- releasing blogs regularly and um, putting out white papers, which are actually a future chapter, and, you know, all this stuff that exposes you to the people who you're supposed to be helping. Um, Now, the reason I asked you under what condition do you do your best work first is because for anyone else listening, if you do your best work to deadlines or to discipline, then you get the exact opposite answer to what I just gave James. And you should absolutely just choose one fricking book and finish it. (laughs) Right. If that's the type of brain you've got, then just, Pick one and finish it and then do the other one <laughs> and that will work better for you. Um, but James, I suspect that may not be the right answer for you because the discipline of a single deadline might kill the magic of your kind of creative style. Um, so do it however you want, making sure that the wider world gets to see it
4: and um, does that makes sense you know, that I can do that makes a lot of sense a couple of chapters key chapters put them as white papers or ebooks or something and get some feedback on that fill out the rest yeah yep. yep.
0: and there's this weird thing where we want everything to be more polished and more perfect than not only than it needs to be but that actually if you were to design it strategically then it would be so our audience actually loves to feel like they're in on it Our audience loves to feel like they know us more closely than the normal person would. They love to feel like they're getting exposed to our thinking as it's being developed. They love to feel like they might be able to influence our thinking, that they might be able to contribute to the overall body of work that that we are the curator of. And so you can release a chapter or a few paragraphs which are missing some of the context before and after, Because your audience that loves you works it out anyway because they care about your stuff and they actually love working it out. They love reading it and going, oh, James is in this bit. I get it, I get it. Like they actually love that. And so you don't even have to slow yourself down a whole lot by trying to frame everything perfectly and say, oh, look, I'm just halfway through writing my book and this bit goes between here and here. And all of a sudden you've written a thousand words just to justify the existence of this 500 words. You don't have to do all that. Just grab it and share it. um, And your audience will appreciate it.
4: So every blog and every white paper is from the upcoming book, blah, 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 and a cover in the bottom corner.
0: Yep, that's it. Yep. And the cover in the bottom corner, strategically, very good move.
4: (laughs) We'll get there eventually. Thanks, Cole.
0: Um, Okay, I'm going to go back up to the questions of coming thick and fast now. That's okay. Jacinta?
4: Yeah.
0: Hi.
2: Hi. Um, Um, Noisy apartment. Hope you can hear me.
0: No, no, you're all good.
2: Cool. Boys, tell us, tell us. I I hate writing about stuff that I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um anyway, the thought of any you must have worked with a lot of people who have refused to um write, write what they know about because it's boring and um, I have. Yeah, okay. So what 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 strategies have you suggested that have worked?
0: <laughs> okay. So the funny thing is, I always get this question from people who I don't consider boring. So oh, this yeah, is the boring. <laughs> right, exactly. So do you see the irony in that? Oh, Cole, um, yeah. <laughs> I can't do this because it's boring. No, 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 no. You're exciting. That's the whole point. So Jacinta, what if it was exciting to create this thing, right? And maybe calling it a book is being too narrow, okay? So if it was exciting to create this thing, what would it include that sitting down to write 25,000 words doesn't?
2: Actually, I think I might have just answered my own question.
0: Well, like, that's why I asked. So what is it?
2: It's, it's called, actually, a better title is Backstage Pass, rather, right? rather than Facilitation Fundamentals. Fuck that. Um, um, <laughs> Backstage Pass came out of a blog I wrote and suddenly I was saying, oh, well, I'm going to write about this in a book, but in the meantime, I'm going to run a masterclass series. I just made it up. And enough people, let's say half a dozen people responded with, I said, if you're interested, just reply backstage. And they went backstage, backstage, backstage. And I went, oh, shit, now I've got a masterclass series. I've got to get ready. Um, So maybe Backstage Pass is basically... That would make it exciting because then I can talk about working on film sets and I can talk about going behind the scenes and going behind the scenes of anyone is interesting. And I could do a mm. whole series like anyway, but it's basically going behind the scenes to help people design better workshops, right? So perfect. what is it that I do what I do? How is it that I do what I do? And I've got enough to probably cobble together a book, but um, it was backstage pass. That's a bit more exciting. Maybe it's just the framing of it. Mm. And it goes with, you know, it goes with a. I'm um, much more about doing stuff with people than necessarily writing the book. Come and do this with me. I'll send yeah. you a shop.
0: So this is actually the wrong book. I thought I had Tribe of Mentors sitting next to me, but I don't. It's Tools of Titans. But Tim Ferriss has yep. written a few books, but he doesn't have a brain that lends itself to getting them out quickly. He tends to be a perfectionist, and like if you listen to any of his podcast. he basically just works too hard and so with tribe of mentors what he did was use his positioning and branding to get 50 other people to write his book ah
5: <laughs>
0: right so he just reached out to all these clever people with massive brand recognition of their own now obviously he has the clout to do that um but he reached out to a bunch of people with mega brand recognition of their own and said can you write a thousand words about how to lead a good life and they all said that'd be great and they all wrote a thousand words. And three months later, he's got a hundred thousand words, none of which he had to write. And all he has to do is pay someone to edit it, put a little forward in bang massive freaking book um, job done. Right. So, ah, that's a good idea. So <laughs> what I'm saying, so what you're saying is I don't want to sit and write and write and write. And I'm saying is fine. That's not an excuse not to do a book. Just think of something else, like do something else, make your book, an online video series or something, right? And yeah. then transcribe that or whatever. I don't care. Yeah. But the I find the idea of um, boredom being the problem as I'm talking to you, just deliciously ironic. Like it's almost like you can't see the wood for the trees. <laughs> don't do it the boring way. That would just be, yeah. Come yeah, on. That's,
2: that's great advice. I've already got six interviews with people um, on the art of observation, right? I've got transcripts with a county court judge, a tango DJ, a stand-up comedian and something else all about the art of observation. So I can twist that. Maybe i do that. Thank you. That's really good advice. That's a bit more exciting. Excellent. Thank you.
0: Excellent. Um, All right, where are we going here? Uh, KP, let's go to you. And then uh, someone else did that. Was it Shane that said he had a question? KP, what's on your mind?
5: Well, I think the lovely community actually answered my question for me. Um, Perfect. But I guess I'd be interested to see what you think. Um, it's almost like the Tim Ferriss book was where I was heading, but I did. I felt like I was, I was caught in this dilemma that I've really fallen in love with this concept of thriving in uncertainty. Um, yeah, and. I, but a lot of what made me fall in love with it was a result of an event I ran where I interviewed a bunch of experts on how they would have, how they teach people to do it. So my debate was, do I frame the book in the, from the perspective of each of these experts, a la what Tim Ferriss did and ask I would write it. Yeah. So I'd make it harder on myself. I should freaking ask them to write it and then just publish it. But anyway, <laughs> that's another thought. But I really feel, and I feel like what people have been saying, so thanks to you guys who responded, that it it feels more authentic and more sort of as a thought leader to sort of position, here's my thinking peppered with, you know, people in the field who confirm my insights, but rather write it by the concepts themselves and bring people in the community into what I'm thinking. That Mm. feels better to me. And I guess I was just kind of stuck on how, how to approach it. So I'm thinking I'm leaning that way, but I'd love to hear what you think when you get sort of content that comes from not just your thinking
0: yeah so none of your ideas are original right there's not a single thing i've ever thought of that was an original idea because every time i come to some kind of realization and go oh my goodness this is profound Mm. one minute on google and i'm like oh a buddhist guy thought of that a long time ago (laughs) right or whatever and so in a sense whether you're learning an idea directly from an interview that you had from a single person or whether it's filtered through you know the wisdom of the ages or whatever all ideas come from somewhere else really and so like the way i interpret what you're asking and maybe i've got it wrong the way i interpret what you're asking is what is the right frame through which to arrange the ideas in this book should i arrange the ideas by people like by the person that i was with when that idea was discussed Or should I arrange the ideas by the way that the ideas kind of fit together and then introduce the characters as that becomes relevant? My tendency would be to lean strongly to the latter. The reason being the serendipity of the order by which you happen to come across the ideas, the likelihood that that is some kind of universal most useful order or frame for it it's exceedingly low (laughs) and so what makes more sense is your curation as the expert saying you know what I think this idea is kind of fundamental so it should live somewhere near the top and this idea is kind of the cream at the end and so you know we, we, we put that on at the end like I think it's better to arrange it the way that the ideas kind of interact with each other and that you may then have recurring stories, like your book might be one punctuated by a breakout box, which is a direct verbatim quote of whoever you were with, who shared the idea, if that's a useful way to do it. Um, And those breakout boxes might um, return to the same character a few times. And so you might decide that, um, you know, Mary Barra, CEO of General Motors, appears five times throughout the book and she introduces two or three of the ideas and expands on a couple of the other ones or something, but that all her stuff is not condensed into a single spot just because it happened to be her that you were with as you were having that discussion. Um, This is one of those, there's no right or wrong situations, but I think the ideas deserve to be the stars rather than the people that's just my bias.
5: Well, and it's a win-win because I think where the the kernel of what I was struggling with is that these people gave of their time in this event with me to do this thing. And that I love the idea of the breakout box because I'm honoring their quotes and I'm honoring their presence without making the book all about them. Um, And that was my, you know, kind of, I want to be a little selfish because it is my positioning book but yet I also wanna really, so that's a perfect way to stop and let's let Shane have his time.
0: Yeah, very good. I wanna make one closing point. Um, I think it's worth as you're writing your book, it's worth thinking about what are the kind of design elements that I could use to help structure this book. And I don't have an exhaustive list might give this as a project Um, but essentially I would pick out my top 10 favorite business books and just flip through them without reading the book so just flip through it and see what leaps out visually Uh, my brother Mike is an incredible graphic designer and he talks about if you want to understand how the design of something is communicating to you draw a sketch of it on a page, but without any of the words. So just draw the heading at the size that it's at. And, you know, so like websites, he draws them as boxes. And then he just shows it to you and says, what do you look at first? And you go, oh, my eye goes there, 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 there. So I'm suggesting a similar thing with a book, flip through some books and go, oh, my eye lands on this, or I see this and try to work out what ones work and what ones don't, you know? And like, if I think of some common tropes, there's like the breakout box to share someone else's perspective. There's the um, practical tips and takeaways at the end of every chapter on a, on a page that's gray. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's the, there's the highlighted text that stands out so that when you're just flipping through the book um, and you only read these major points, they're like the topic sentences or the pink sheet A statements that they stand out at you. I'd suggest flip through 10 or 15 of your favorite business books, not to read them, but to look at them and see what jumps out and what are those design elements achieving And which do I want to adopt? And then have the discipline to only use two or three of them. I'm not going to name names, but I've seen some books come out recently from within this tribe where people try to use eight or 10 of them. Nobody's brain can remember what eight or 10 different graphic motifs are communicating. We can only remember two or three. So use two or three and use them really well. And everything else just lives in the body text. is that useful cool Shane. what's on your mind my friend i know we're slightly over time but you've got such a friendly face i couldn't possibly uh, cut you off
6: that's cool <laughs> uh, so a lot of the conversation that's been going on has been useful in trying to help me out i have still been flip-flopping between am i doing a cluster book or a positioning book yep. and the reason i'm flip-flopping is not necessarily because of an in- in- indecisive nature it's more the intent is to get people to get me in to try and sell the program, right? So it feels like a cluster book. But yep. I'm loath to be recognised as the guy who does that thing. I'm doing it for jam. I'm not doing it for what I want to be known for, but I don't know what I want to be known for. So that's why I'm struggling in this little conundrum.
0: Perfect. Um, so uh, if you don't know what you want to be known for, then by definition, you're making a cluster book. Yeah. Because what else could you be doing?
6: Well, the trouble, I think, where I'm at is I don't know how deep you go on a cluster book to go, I'm actually giving you a bunch of IP or enough to know that you should talk to this guy to get him in to sell this particular cluster. do I want to elevate it a little bit because... So to give you an idea, it's around building a capability around a piece of technology, right? My theory goes that the IP that I'm building, I don't want it to be specific to a specific piece of tech. That just happens to be where I'm known now. right so the IP that I'm writing, I want to make it transferable so that my positioning can be, this guy knows how to build a capability around any piece of tech, not a specific one.
0: Yeah, I like so, that.
6: And so that's kind of where I'm, is it a cluster book because it's how to build a capability or is a positioning book, this guy knows how to build a capability.
0: Uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. I love it. Um, So if you were to write, what's the specific piece of tech just out of interest?
6: Salesforce CRM.
0: Okay. So if you were going to write the book that said, here's how you build capability with Salesforce CRM, how long would it take you to write a book that had the exercises and the blah, blah, blah that you need to to get those jobs and do that work and make an impact? How long would it take you to create that book?
6: A hell of a long time.
0: A hell of a long time. (laughs)
6: Because I started my mind map and it went...
0: Okay. Okay, so that wasn't the answer as I was expecting. I was expecting <laughs> you to say, "Oh, that'd be fairly straightforward because I already know how to do it." And then I was going to say, "Great, how long would it take you to do the generic, like more abstract version?" And you say, "Oh, a year." And I'd go, "Well, Shane, you should definitely just write the one for Salesforce CRM, and then go back and like recontextualize it and apps and make it more abstract." And like in a sense, I was going to suggest you write two books: one just to get some sales in the door. Yeah around Salesforce CRM and then the second to uh, go one level higher and be the capability guy rather than the capability and Salesforce guy.
6: Yeah. And I think the reason the answer to your question was a hell of a long time is I've spent like two weeks mind mapping this thing, right? And there's all these nuances and this thing is just getting deeper and deeper. The answer would be you can't go that deep. The book has to be shallow enough that someone's going to want to read it, right?
0: Well, actually, no. So, not many people read this book, but it's incredibly useful because I do zero preparation to teach public speaking because mm-hmm. all the exercises that I ever want to teach are in here. And when I go to do training, I'm just like, oh, flip open to page. Yeah, this one. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Not many people read this thing as a, as a, as in they already know and trust me by the time they're reading it for the most part.
5: Yeah.
0: Um, and. This is possibly for your benefit and possibly you don't want to hear it, but I'm going to say it anyway because I think other people, it might be useful for others as well. Being the capability guy is hard to sell until you're black belt. Mm-hmm. Being the capability in Salesforce CRM guy is way easier to sell. Yeah. And you're viewing it as a prison. hmm and I view it in exactly the opposite way. I reckon being the Salesforce specific guy is your ticket to freedom because it gets you in. Yeah. And the number of companies using Salesforce is high enough that it's limitless in terms of possibility. And that you once you have demonstrated your ability to um, implement capability through Salesforce, you will have such an impact in those organizations that you will have license to implement capability through anything in that organization. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I love the specificity of Salesforce because I see it as vastly easier for you to get in the door and have an impact and build relationship. And that once you've done that, that organization could move to a different CRM. They won't because you'll have made them awesome at it, but they could move to a different CRM. They could take a different strategic direction. They could get bored out by some multinational that moved them to another thing. And you would still be their trusted advisor because you've demonstrated um, this ability around capability. Um, and so I, I want you to consider reframing Salesforce feeling like a restriction as actually being the thing that sets you free because it's so much easier to get sales when you have a specific application. And when I said application, then I didn't mean a tech application though. In your case, that's what it means. Um, That to me is actually buys you freedom because it means you spend less time trying to find sales and more time out making an impact. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense.
6: Yeah. And so, I should be going a little bit deeper on some of the topics because that gives some depth to it rather than it being broader. This is, am I pitching myself as the guy who knows how to do this or this is the book that teaches you how to do it?
0: Uh, I reckon the latter Hmm. because what we all know is when we read a great book, we go, this is awesome. I don't back myself to get this done, but surely there's nobody better equipped than the guy who wrote the book. I'll give him a call. Yeah. People who write books trying to leave bits out so that they get the work, don't get the work, (laughs) give it all out in the book, put it all. And by that, I don't mean make the book too big. What I mean is don't hold back the gold, put your best shit in the book because they will come to you to help, to get your help in implementing it. Um, and for the few companies where your book was, was all they needed and some crazy internal champion was able to roll it all out based on that, good for them. Um, they, will, they will be few and far between. So yep. put your best stuff in the book. Hold none of your genius back. Um, they, will, they will get you in to do the actual work with them for sure.
6: It's my original hypothetical book cover that said a practical guide for leaders who want to optimise cost and amplify value. That's legit. It's practical. You should be doing stuff
0: think so that was a long sentence though i would say that exact thing in half the words
6: yeah (laughs) cool thanks
0: col awesome hey folks uh are you ready to spend about 30 days a hundred percent in on your commitment whatever your commitment is impeccable with your word to your writing commitment so that we can check back in in 2021 with a word count and a whole bunch of momentum and, um, and ready to pump some books out early in the new year. Is that something that we're ready to do? Yeah. Love it. 100% in. Um, have a great Christmas slash new year slash whatever you celebrate, peeps. Um, it's been awesome to see you. I'm mega grateful to get to spend this time with you and I look forward to seeing you all again. Very soon.